This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. Mamas and listeners out there, I wanted to put together this episode for you because I think it's really, really important. I actually just did this interview last week, and I rushed to get it out there for you because we're in a crazy, crazy, crazy time right now. Before any of this starts, I want to first of all say I am sending all of you health and safety and love during this really unknown scary time and and I just hope that all of you stay positive and joyful and maybe get some good quality family time throughout all of this. Now first of all, before we get started, I want you to know that anything that we talk about in this conversation about finances is completely what they went through and their experience. And through the company that they've built, what they recommend their clients go through. However, I am not offering, nor are they, any sort of financial advice. (laughs) This week, I sit down with an unbelievable couple named Dan and Kay, and they are the mother to this adorable little girl named Lucy. Starting out in their marriage, they were $20,000 in debt. They sat down with me and we had a wonderful conversation about how they got themselves out of it. I think at a time like this, this type of a conversation can be really helpful to all of you out there. And it's a perfect time for us all to sit down while we have some time together and really start to have this conversation over money and how we can improve our family's future. So without further ado, here is Dan and Kay. Dan and Kay Oki, I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on here. I'm just catching myself as I uh, start because I think almost every episode I start with, I am so excited to talk to you, (laughs) but it's true. (laughs) I always find uh, whether I find people or you guys found me, which made, you know, made my heart just sore. I was so excited. Um, I am. I'm always so excited to talk to my guests. Um, So I'm especially excited to talk to you guys. And for those listening, this couldn't be a better time, I don't think, to have the two of you on because you are and have made yourselves personally um, financial wizards and have created a company called Sensei. And we're going to get more into that. And I'm just really, I mean, I've always been into finances and budgeting. I'm all about that, um, but especially how it comes through to parents and moms and for those of you listening as well, when they reached out to me, I said, well, that sounds really wonderful, but I usually just interview moms. And then you were like, well, we are one. I am one and we have a family. So I said, oh, even better. Uh, So thank you so much. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Us too. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. So before we get started, I just want to do a little summary that I found on your Instagram page to give everybody um, an inf- some info as to what we're getting into. So you say that coming into your marriage, you had $20,000 of debt. My goodness. You paid it all off within the first six months of marriage, and you were college students at the time. Congratulations. Three months after that, you had achieved your next goal, which was a six-month emergency fund. Three months after that, you maxed out your Roth IRA for that current year. After that, you maxed out your health savings account in preparation to start your little family. 
And after that, you started saving for a house and within five months you had a down payment. And through all of that, Sensei was born. So before we kind of dive into life as a mom and a dad and, and what it's like now, give us a little bit more of a background as far as what, what your life is and who you guys are. Yeah, so we, we're, we live out in the West. We're out in Utah, um, probably to about an hour south of Salt Lake City. Uh, we visit your city on vacation, if that tells you <laughs> anything about us Westerners. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're smack dab in the mountains, so we're surrounded by the outdoors, national parks, um, and we spend a lot of time hiking and, and being extremely active as possible um, just, just to take advantage of all the scenery. That, that we have. So if you haven't been to Utah, get out here, Jessica, I'm looking at you. Yeah, uh, no, I have been actually. Oh, great. Then, yeah, it's beautiful, but I'd love to go again. <laughs> um, and we are in the full swing of running our company sensei when we focus specifically on helping married couples um, get on the same page financially and make real financial progress. And that's where we spend a lot of our time in addition to the outdoors and, and raising our 16 month old daughter, Lucy. <laughs> Yeah, and you got to see kind of the highlight reel of our financial journey by just seeing those steps. But really, we saw how many couples, including ourselves, had such a hard time with finances and with trying to figure out how to get on the same page or how this works with kids. And that's kind of why we started Sensei, to be able to hopefully help people to, one, hit those goals really fast, but also be able to communicate about money and be happier, have a better family, all of those things. So out here in, in Utah, there's there's a high population of of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so there's a ton, they have a lot of families and they have them really young. And so a lot of these families start while they're in college. And um, so there's a lot of family activity out here, which is great for all these for all these moms and dads. But it really, because these families get married young, they start having financial issues and problems um, a lot sooner in life than, or having to face the realities of that sooner than maybe some other other people would. And so it really, out here in Utah, you know, living, living here has kind of created this environment for us of a lot of activity, but also a lot, a, a big focus on the family and how do we make these families work, um, especially when there's so many different elements and um and problems that one can face when they're trying to make a new marriage or you know having they have a new child or two while they're still going to school getting master's degrees and phd programs because we're in a college town and so that, that's really sparked a lot of what we do and who we are from from just our environment you know i'm i'm not totally positive on when this episode will come out but we are in the midst of a craziness within our world of this, you know, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I hate that word. Totally. It causes so much anxiety, but that's where we are right now in the reality of our world. And I think we're just on the brink um, and probably unfortunately at the top, the beginning of, of, of a massive recession that we're about to experience. I was just telling my husband yesterday, you know, we were kind of due for a recession and now this coronavirus came through which is gonna bring us down even lower i think so really i mean our our chat could not come at a more opportune time um 
in addition, I just found out yesterday that I got laid off and so did my husband. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really scary time. And, and luckily, um, we're both pretty good at budgeting and I'm excited to learn even more from you. Um, so we have some, some cushion there, but, uh, you know, I can only imagine even when you have a family, whether you've done that prep work and, you know, created a cushion and then you started a family or whether you haven't, I mean, either way, a time like this is just frightening. Um, before we kind of go back into the past, what, how are you guys kind of feeling and are you getting a lot of questions, especially now with all of this craziness? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely tons of questions. I think kind of in, in so many ways, this is making putting a magnifying glass over problems that you may have already had. So whether you already had financial concerns or you weren't that good at budgeting or you were, all of a sudden you see all these blaring gaps in your financial knowledge or, or your plan. So yeah, definitely lots of questions, lots more awareness. Um, and then as far as we're feeling, we definitely agree that there is a very high chance of a recession hitting. Um, and that's never fun, right? Nobody's looking forward to that, no matter how prepared no. you are, no matter <laughs> how much money you have in the bank or saved or whatever, you're still, that's not going to be exciting. But I definitely think that we have felt a lot more peace knowing that we have that cushion, that if something goes wrong, that for us personally or for others, that that will really benefit us in the long run. And, and let me just acknowledge, first off, I'm sorry to hear that you were both laid off. That's got to be incredibly frustrating. Um, I'm yeah, super shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> Total. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I've i been thinking a lot about that. We've been we've had a couple people who have been laid off who have been reaching out, out to us. And one of the one of the situations and one of the best things you can do, which sounds like you and your husband have have mastered is having a budget. And sometimes when there's no income, people would say, why would I need, need to have a budget? And you've got to limit the damage, especially in that time of uncertainty. And if you can at least control something that feels uncontrollable when you don't have necessarily inflow, then it yes. gives you a lot more power as you get back on your feet and, and as we move through this recession and you get back to where you want to be. So the fact that you guys have done that is really impressive to me because I think there's a lot of people who are about to get laid off or have just gotten laid off who are not in that situation. And so back to your question of how do we feel, it really comes down to the communication we have between us and the, the steps we did take before this, um, but it's not too late, and the budget and the plan that we have in place, which gives us a lot of confidence, even though it still feels scary because we don't want to have to dip into those savings either. And right. So, but there is a level of confidence that comes from having those things in place. So let's dive back into the past a little bit. What was life like? How did you guys meet? What was life like before your little daughter was born? And how did this all kind of come about? Hmm. Well, happy times, but I'll, I'm turning to Dan <laughs> because he tells the story way better than I do, but that he has to make it short. <laughs> <laughs> because this could be the whole I know we, we need to get to other stuff long, long story short we met on um we met in Germany 
at a train station. Um, I was on the last day of my service mission for my church, and she was on the first day of her service mission for her for the same church. And we met at the train station, and I knew I was going to marry her. And then I went home, and she was going to stay there for the next 18 months. And I did everything in my power to try to get in touch with her. She shut me down. I believe the exact quote was, I will never marry Daniel Oki. I didn't uh, say that to him. <laughs> Don't worry. I didn't say that to him. Let's to other people. Um, <laughs> and uh, she came home after that 18-month period. I, I tried dating other people. I just could not shake her. I, I just She was just on my mind everywhere. And every time I tried to date, I ended up having to break up with all these girls because of this girl <laughs> I met for two minutes at a train station. So now, wait, I have to know what was that? I mean, did you bump into each other? What was that conversation? This is a movie waiting to happen. Guys. <laughs> um, if, if it is, you get a star in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's the, do it. <laughs> the uh, yeah, so she was going to the area that I was leaving, and so she was introduced to me to say, Hey, um, she's basically your replacement. And uh, so we had a, a brief interaction of, Hey, this is what it's like and you're going to love it. And she thought it was really weird and I was stuttering and <laughs> that was it. That was literally it. Oh my gosh. How funny. So she comes, she comes home after that 18 months, start dating, starts dating someone else. And I'm not giving up. I finally, she accepts my friend request after like four months on Facebook and, uh, <laughs> I see that this guy she's dating comes home and meets her family. So I'm like, Oh, that's it. You know, she's, she's getting engaged. I see her profile picture change. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she, they, they broke up. And I literally just, I just said this prayer to, to the universe, you know, if this is, yeah. if this is supposed to happen, you know, if I've been waiting two years for her, please, please let, like let her message me. I can't reach out. Hey, you know, saw you just broke up with your boyfriend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, two days later, she sent me a message, and she found emails I had written her when I was trying to convince her to talk to me while she was doing her mission. And uh, it just started. We started skyping every night from there, and eight months later, we were married. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. What did life look like then after you were married? What were you doing for work and? Were you traveling? What was life like? Yeah, so definitely traveling. We always loved traveling, and we went to New York, actually. Uh, <laughs> you must find that list. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, lots of travel. And then I was working um, in corporate wellness at American Express and also teaching nutrition to low-income families. And then Dan was working at a tech firm. Yeah, and, and also through this time, right when we got married, um, which we can get into later, we, I had my own digital marketing company um, and was running that. And we kind of went through our whole getting out of debt experience, what you kind of outlined at the beginning, and then moved into some more, more secure employment um, at a tech firm called Qualtrics, uh, which has since been sold and I've, I've moved on from that. But um, yeah, we were just traveling a lot, you know, double income, no kids. And life, life was really good, um, other than a lot of the financial problems we had in our marriage and, and, uh, and just life in general. And how long afterward, after you were married, did you start to have kids or try for Lucy? A year yeah. and a half? Yeah, well, she was born a year and a half into our marriage. And she was, she was planned. So it was actually 
relatively quick, um, all things considered. Yeah. And so was it always your plan to be at a certain financial place when that happened? Um, initially, yes, we were, we wanted to wait a couple of years, but we just, we just kept coming back to it. Um, I'll let you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, I mean, yes, the financial part definitely played a role. And that was a big part of why we had one of those goals was saving up our HSA to like make sure that we didn't have a bunch of medical debt and all of that when we had our baby and being prepared financially. But I don't think we really thought even that we were going to start having kids that soon. Initially, when we got married, we were like, yeah, we'll wait five years, you know, wait till we're like really established and then we'll start our family. But the the longer we were married, the more we thought about it and just kept feeling like, you know, maybe we need to start, you know, trying and thinking about it more and stuff. And so, so I think those, those um, two worlds, the financial world and having kids kind of were happening at the same time. We were thinking about preparing financially and we were thinking about having kids, but it wasn't necessarily like we set out and said, by this time, we will have these financial goals hit and then we'll start our family at this time. It kind of went together. Yeah, it was more of a time frame thing in a couple of years. But we, you know, as we were married longer, we just kept talking about it. We, we kind of said, you know, there's never going to be a perfect time to have a child. Um, there's always going to be that one trip that we're going to want to go on. There's always going to be that one financial thing we're going to want to do. There's never going to be a perfect time for this. And if we want to do it, why don't we, why don't we do it? Yeah. And, and it honestly has turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of our lives. So Kay, what was pregnancy like for you? Did you have your own baby or she's not adopted, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what was that whole experience like? Did it take you a long time? How was pregnancy? Yeah. I, I feel bad saying this because it's going to make everyone feel bad. <laughs> like I had on paper, at least this like dream pregnancy of like we tried a month later, I was pregnant and then I didn't have any morning sickness. Like the only real symptom I had was I had really bad insomnia where I could just could not sleep even early on in the pregnancy. So I know that that's a common thing later when you're uncomfortable and such, but right. even first, second trimester, I was already just having such a hard time sleeping. So I definitely had that, but I really feel like I had it pretty good, all things considered. I think the challenging part is just in general, it's you have to be very selfless, right? You're giving up pieces of you to sacrifice for this amazing thing um, that's going to happen of being a parent. You know, that is the most beautiful thing, in my opinion, that we can do. It's just so such a privilege. But at the same time, it is not going to be completely blissful. But yeah, all things considered, pretty good pregnancy. And birth was easy as well. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> yeah. celebrate it, girl. You know, everyone has I, their challenges in one way or another. So yes. it's, and I definitely postpartum, and I'm sure we'll get to that. That was a lot harder for me. But yeah, birth was great. I mean, the the challenge for me was, um, I went in the night before she was born or the day before, um, just for my normal checkup. And then my doctor was like, Oh yeah, you still have a couple weeks left till you hit your due date. 
And then we may need to start talking about getting induced. And it's like, you know, first time mom, you're probably going to go over your due date, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that just like made me think, well, first off, it was very emotional because at that point, you're just hormones are all over the place. Right. Baby out. You're ready. Um, (laughs) But also it was like just this whole it just set me in that mindset. So then that night when my contractions started, I'm like, well, this can't be the real thing because my doctor just said it's going to be weeks before this happens. And so I kept waiting and kept waiting and kept waiting. (laughs) And so I ended up waiting at home, laboring at home kind of accidentally in some ways for a lot longer. So by the time I got to the hospital to be able to have an epidural and everything, it was like pretty painful pretty far along in the process so that part I think was the hard part but then once I got there it went really fast because I had labored so much my body was able to relax and then an hour later I was dilated all the way and then 15 minutes of pushing and she was here so Mm -hmm. really all things considered no complications we really feel blessed that it's a relatively good birth experience Well, let's just take a quick second since you brought it up to dive a little bit into postpartum because it's so important and something I'm really trying to focus on a lot because I don't think it's brought up much. So what were some challenges you faced with that? Yeah, again, I mean, it's so hard in the motherhood world because I never want it to be like comparing or being like, my story is so hard because X, Y, and Z, because I know that there's so many people that have it way harder. And luckily I never had like complete postpartum depression or anything like that but postpartum for me the the hard parts were definitely just the emotional experience I just wasn't quite prepared for that part um where you're just your hormones literally are out of whack during that time and that just I didn't really anticipate that. I've never been super hormonal during my cycle or anything like that. And so I don't think Dan had ever seen me cry as much. <laughs> there, there were a lot of tears. I did not see that come. Yeah. So that was definitely just, and, and such a mix of emotions because, I mean, you're so happy and this was like such an amazing decision and, you love that baby so much, you know, Mm. at the same time, it's just like so hard too to be able to be like, how am I going to do this? Like, what did I just sign up for? And um, then you add the whole breastfeeding piece, which for me was a really big challenge. And I love that you're doing this podcast because pumping definitely was a whole world of its own. And um, just trying to navigate that whole world going to lactation consultants dealing with mastitis and other infections and just all these pieces of breastfeeding that I didn't anticipate I have a nutrition background so I knew that that this was the best thing for the baby was to be breastfed and so then the mental piece of feeling like am I not being a good mom because I'm not doing this all that was playing a role with all the hormones Right. Anyway, so yeah, I feel like that those first few weeks definitely were like, okay, what happened? But luckily I had, I made a list of just like a few things that kept me me that I think were really important to like get outside, 
to pray, to read a book, to do something social, and then to do a little project of some sort that would stay finished <laughs> because yeah. I feel like so many of the things as a mom, you're just redoing every time. Oh, we got a nurse again. Oh, we got to change a diaper again. Okay, we got to do this again. So having something that made me feel like I was progressing definitely helped. So anyway, definitely a roller coaster of emotions, but also some good experiences at the same time. Dan, I never really have the opportunity to talk to dads or to get dad's perspective. So I'm going to take this and run with it. Um, yeah. What was this time like for you? And maybe what is some advice that you would have, um, if any, <laughs> um, for dads who are about to dive into something like this? Because clearly the world is unknown to what you're going to get, right? <laughs> What's going to come at you? What a question. I have to be really careful how I answer this. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to pretend kind of in the least bit that I understand what it's like to have a child and the what a, the role of a mother is what a I mean what a special title and um I think the hardest part for me was seeing the frustration and the pain and the desire to give everything to our baby on Michaela's side and specifically in the breastfeeding and the pumping and you know why is this just not working um, and there's nothing I, I, as her partner, as, and the baby's father can do about it. I can be supportive. I can listen. I can hold her. I can drive her to the lactation consultant, but I'm not the one going through this. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't really know what she's feeling inside. And so I think probably you specific for advice and Michaela can tell can tell confirm if this is good advice because I don't know if it worked for sure um, <laughs> is is understand first off that we don't know what what our spouses are going through and um with that understanding then to show all the love the care and the compassion we can possibly muster in that moment because I don't think I've ever seen Michaela more vulnerable than as a new mother. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that moment is special because it's an opportunity to bond closer together or it's an opportunity for you to, to distance yourself. And um, right from the get-go, the first moment that baby's born, and even before in pregnancy, you're choosing what type of father you're going to be, um, how involved you're going to be, what type of partner you're going to be to your spouse. And uh, that's a conscious and intentional decision. It doesn't just happen. And I, there's definitely things I could have done better, um, but I wanted to make that choice. And it was a constant communication. It's hard to communicate when your partner's hormones are not all in the right places. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You have to. Uh, so that, uh, that's what I would say if I had to go back and tell myself before going into that six to three month period. Well, and I think it's, you know, important to acknowledge too that fathers do also experience a level of postpartum mm -hmm. they're not getting the woman that they you know married at the altar and it's probably scary they're not getting that person physically or emotionally or mentally they're getting this whole nother this whole other person who is 
beautiful and amazing, but new and it's all this uncharted territory. And so I think it's important to value that and understand that you guys are going through something. Maybe you can't understand what the female is going through, but no matter what the relationship is, the partner is experiencing something as well. So I think that's important to acknowledge. Well said. Yeah. So let's talk money. How the heck did you guys get out of that $20,000 debt? I mean, what did you do? And, And did you decide like, okay, we have to figure this out and get into a plan? Or did you just kind of fall into something that worked? Oh, you're asking all the right questions here. Um, yeah, we, the problems really came from, from me um, and my attitude towards money. And when we got married, Kay and I could not have been on more opposite continents um, and of, of where we were financially. Um, Michaela was budgeting. She had a couple thousand dollars in savings. And I was spending every last dollar I had and living like a king. Um, which was accumulating debt incredibly fast. And had we not stopped when we did, I probably would have been doubling the amount of debt I brought to the marriage every six months. So that entire 20 grand was all me. Um, and uh, that, was, that was something that we necessarily didn't have the right conversations about before we got married. Um, she knew about it, but we didn't discuss it. And some of, some of the listeners are probably nodding and saying, yeah, that, that happened to me too. <laughs> yeah, I was blindsided. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was us. And so it became a really quick source of contention in our marriage. Uh, I mean, every time money was brought up, it was like the whole room just tensed. And again, people know what that feels like if you've ever had those money conversations. And it just, there was just no harmony. It just was kept thinking, I, I've read, read all these stats that money is the number one cause of divorce in marriages. Why is this? already happening to us we're three weeks married Um, and uh, I didn't know what to do about it yeah so really when you ask the question of was it an all of a sudden thing or was it a process a slow process it really wasn't all of a sudden thing because we were on such different places that there was no way we were ever going to come to a conclusion on our own because we were both, well, we both are very stubborn people and it was really your way or my way choose. And we weren't, neither of us were willing to meet in the middle. So it really needed to be a third party source, somebody else telling us you need an intervention kind of thing. And so for that, for us, that was a financial audiobook that we listened to. And then after that book, that's what got us on our first, like, okay, let's do this. And we decided we were going to pay off our debt. And it really was an overnight thing because we listened to the audiobook on a road trip and we wrote it down on a paper napkin what our debt plan was going to be right then and there and just snapped into action. And then to pay it off so fast, we obviously had to do some pretty extreme things. Initially, we thought it was going to take about a year and a half. Um, but neither of us were working full time jobs at that point because we were still in college. So it was lots of part-time work. We got early morning custodial jobs, sold things. We had, we used my savings. We put, what other things did we do? We have a whole list, but oh, man. I can never remember. I mean, there, there was, 
we created, Michaela created this cooking camp for all these neighborhood kids. Oh, yeah. And that made us, so, so every day for a week, these neighborhood kids would come and they would do <laughs> yoga and then learn how to cook something. So it was like exercise and cooking combined. We made like a close to a thousand. Cool. You made close to what? A thousand bucks. Wow. Um, we we sold, I mean, you think as newlywed college students, you don't have things to sell. I mean, we sold everything. Um, <laughs> now, I think we probably got a little extreme in some of the things we did, um, but we just, it was finally kind of like that culmination of we need to be unified on one focus and direction. And this is the typical problem that we see with with most couples now is they each want to do these different things and there's not an agreement on what the focus should be today. And mm-hmm. that disagreement, um, the lack of understanding comes from not understanding that doing one of those things or maybe an entirely different thing altogether will actually, is actually a step closer to getting you both what you want. Um, mm-hmm. And so for us, that was our debt. And that getting rid of that disagreement and putting us on the same plane kind of unleashed this creativity power of our partnership. I may sound cheesy, but it, we, we essentially just, we, we started working together instead of against each other. And once we were able to do that, we were able to do things we never would have thought possible before that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like your approach initially was less about numbers and saying, okay, we have, $500 a week coming in. So we're putting this amount of money away. It was more thinking outside the box and how can we have multiple streams of income? How can we sell things? How can we create money for ourselves? Is that correct? And what I'm understanding? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of that. We cut a lot too, because you have to understand where the money that you're earning is going. Um, if you don't understand mm-hmm. that, then you'll, you'll end up kind of where you started. Uh, right. As, but, uh, yeah, I, I would say that taking the time to think creatively and not and just trying things, especially if they're low risk or like don't cost any money to start, um, like that kids cooking camp, um, yeah, it, it yielded a lot of great results. Mm-hmm. So you guys, if correct me if I'm wrong, but you work one on one with couples, correct? So we have done that, and we still do that occasionally, but we've moved more to an online course version. So we initially started with the one-on-one coaching um, specifics, but what would happen is one, it felt like we were all over the place with what they needed or what they thought they needed. And we were like, well, maybe do this first, or it just seemed like everything was all over the place and that we needed more of a curriculum to follow with them. And so we started doing that initially and just teaching them the curriculum that we created just first one-on-one and then that moved to group settings and then it just we didn't have enough time to keep doing that and driving to people's houses all over the place and it made it so we could only talk to people in Utah Mm -hmm. where there were all these other people that were reaching out to us wanting more information um and so that's kind of how we turned it into an online course which is what it is now is a self-paced online course that they can follow together and have these discussion questions and action items to really implement it for them. And it, and it really is um, a how-to and a behavior change course, 
which is something that we learned a ton through this whole process is there's so much information out there. There's so many audiobooks, there's so many blog articles, and those things have a place, right? That's how we got started. That's what helped us initially, but really having like, okay, I know I need to budget it. What do I do? How do I do this? What do I start with? How do I automate this so I'm not making a new budget every month? What do I do to invest. I hear I'm supposed to invest when I'm young. What does that look like? And um, instead of trying to piece it all together from all these different sources to try to compile it. So that's kind of why it took the form that it did and what seems to be working the best currently in that form, because it really helps them to be able to put it into action. Whereas before in a one-on-one setting, it was a little bit scatterbrained. Isn't it crazy that we don't talk about this in college, like, or in high school. Like I have never understood that we're not taught how to invest and budget and save. It's just the basic element of life. And it (laughs) totally confuses me. I don't get it. So if we were working together, what would be kind of back then or in the beginning of this curriculum, what are kind of the first steps that you take people through and what are those steps that people can attack right away? Yes, great question. So you are, especially if you're married, that's one one thing we focus on. The first thing you have to focus on is the relationship that you have with your with your partner towards money. And there's so much behind this like emotional relationship we have with our spouse when we talk, uh, approach the topic of money. And this, we have a saying, your financial past is present. So everything you did with money growing up when you were single, before you met your partner, where you were dating, you were engaged, and then you're finally married, um, that affects how you view marriage. And you have collided two universes that are have very different experiences and now they're supposed to work together and be on the same page. Mm-hmm. So there's elements of ownership of, I feel like I own this piece of something that I brought to the marriage, or there's elements of you're earning more money than I am. Right, and right. I feel guilty to ask if we can spend money in this place. Um, or, or I look down on you because you don't earn as much money as I do, whatever that may be. And so cleaning kind of that inner relationship before you even approach the how-to and the tools of, of personal finance is a must do. Uh, you can't, you can't go anywhere without each other. You have to be on the same page. Um, and so we kind of walk through a couple exercises in, in our course um, of how to do that. And just a little taste of what that is. The it's, it's important to sit down and have those discussions about the emotional side of money. What do you, what do you, what do you, a question that you should ask is what is something financially that you wish we were doing right now that you've never told me that we're not doing? Um, I guarantee you every, every partner has one, something to say to that. Yeah. Can you tell me more about how your parents treated money and how that made you feel as a child? Uh, these are questions that you should ask each other and, and take that time. And I guarantee you're going to feel closer with your spouse after you do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And along with that, talking about what you value spending money on, that's a huge one before you even sit down and make the budget, because you could have completely different ideas. One might love to travel. One might love clothes. One might value really healthy eating. One might value saving. One is a spender, whatever. Like 
all of that to be able to know where your money is going to be going, you have to know what the other person values and be really excited about that. And then the other thing that we talk about very first is having a roadmap and we call it the three phases of wealth and really having these, this order of steps of what to do first. And that was huge for us because it was very overwhelming at first to be like, we need to be investing. We need to be saving for a baby. We need to be doing an emergency fund. We need to, the coronavirus is happening, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's too much. (laughs) So many things to do and it's so overwhelming and not motivating and all of that. And so um, going through these phases of wealth and, and doing those steps really help you to be able to be like, all right, let's attack this goal. Let's make this happen. And that's how you achieve things quicker. And then once you have that mindset, it's so much more fun to budget. It's so much more purposeful because you actually know what you're working towards instead of, well, I hear this is important and I need to be saving money. So I guess we'll put 10% to this random bank account for some day. Maybe we'll need it. Like Mm -hmm. that just doesn't seem it's much more tempting to be like uh or I'll just buy these shoes or whatever you know I think that that that's what I would say are the very first two things we talk about in the course and what we would recommend to all of you listening is to sit down and talk go through discussion questions some that we mentioned or some of your own and then follow those phases of wealth in that roadmap one thing I would add to that just as a as an initial step is to track where your money's going if you're not currently. And there's a ton of online free tools you can do that. Mint.com is one that we highly recommend. There's a lot of you who probably use Mint. Um, maybe you haven't checked it in a while. But um, set those budgets. Understand where your money's going. Just being aware of what's happening. I mean, how, how many lattes you buy or whatever that may be. Yeah. Really, really helps um, to know what's, what's happening. And you you know, the worst question in the world is, where did my paycheck just go? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to ask myself that question ever again. Yeah. Well, I know for me, we started um, a couple of years ago using um, YNAB, You Need a yeah. Budget. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was totally life-changing for us. Um, and the way that they kind of talk about it in their little spiel is, you know, every dollar that comes in, giving it a job. And at the end of the day, no money comes in without a job, whether it's the job to be for the summer trip, or it's the job to be for my coffee, or it's the job to be for rent or mortgage or whatever that is. But every money that comes in has a job. And then if there's no money in that coffee budget, then you either can't get that coffee or you know that you have to take it from another category of a job and put it into that, therefore taking away from this or that. And it was fascinating for us because we found that, you know, we would look at our accounts and say, oh, I got $2,000 in here. I have plenty for X, Y, Z, but you forget that you have rent, you have insurance, you have utilities, you have, you know, all of these things that pop up and all of that money technically has a job, but you haven't given it that allotment yet. So you're just looking at this chunk of change that's in there. And then before you know it, there is no money for that latte or whatever it is. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I, 
YNAB is great. It's actually, I don't know if you know, it's actually a Utah company. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So we're, hmm. it's, it's actually just headquartered about 30 minutes away. Oh, um, cool. They are, they're fantastic as well. And I think they have some great educational pieces too. So highly recommend them in addition. That's awesome that you do that. I, Whenever I meet someone who budgets, I just think you are incredible for doing what you do. <laughs> well, let any of the listeners who are, you know, haven't been budgeting, it truly was a life-changing thing for us. Um, so what are maybe the top three things that you would say are the most important to get yourself out of debt, to get yourself a good cushion, to reach those goals. I mean, I'm sure you could, there's like a thousand, but what are the top three things that every couple must do? Yeah, I would say, and you can correct me on this um, (laughs) because she's really good at making sure I say the right things. Um, First, I would say getting on the same page with your spouse and the combination of that is focus. So you should have a singular financial focus, meaning you shouldn't be saving for, 10 different things at once. Everything should be going to to one spot. And the three steps, especially in this time of coming economic recession, uh, is true even if we weren't heading for that, is to save an initial $1,000 emergency fund, get rid of all your consumer debt as step two, and then save a six-month emergency fund. And while you're doing those three things, you're not saving money, you're not investing in anything else. It's a pure focus on putting all extra dollars towards those goals until they are completed and then you move on to the next one. And when you say six months, you mean covering all bills that you would need to survive for six months, even including like a little food budget or whatever. Right, yes. So living the same way you are now, um, probably minus some of the luxuries for, for six months. And um, in our course, we teach about a specific budget we call the CAP budget system that we created to help you progress through those steps. Now, what do you say to those couples who, you know, for example, I know a couple that when they got married, they put all their money together and they give themselves an allowance and each partner gets a certain amount of allowance a week. You can use it if you want. You could save it up and accumulate it over time, whatever you want. Myself and my husband, what we do is we keep our money very separate. We have, um, we have our own rent that we have literally, like as if we're roommates, we split our rent. And we would plan to do this when we have a mortgage one day as well. And so we both are making you know, enough, luckily at this time, to put in equally towards the rent. And then we've calculated our utilities. So we have about $250 that we put in weekly, each of us. And out of our joint account comes things that we do jointly, food, travel, gas. If we are going to a wedding and we pay a gift together or anything like that. And then any other money that's left over is our own to do with what we like. and we also, you know, budget accordingly. But what do you say to these couples that have very differing opinions? I mean, for example, I and my husband keep things pretty separate as if we're, um, like I said, roommates. And I think that comes because both of our parents are divorced. And so, you know, I expect to never be away from my husband. He's unbelievable, but I will not put my money into a joint account because, 
I am covering my tush if God forbid someday something happens, you know. Um, but then there are other people that do the other way. So what do you kind of say? How do you navigate around that? Because you're clearly not saying, I don't, I wouldn't think like this way or the highway. What do you say to that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one, it comes down back down to what you value first off. So like what you were saying for you, you feel like that is so important that you value covering your tush as you say. Um, and so as long as you are able to both navigate that correctly and you both value that, then that will work. I think often what happens though is one person may value that and the other person may not, and then there can be conflict. So again, just being able to really discuss that to know that you guys can both agree to that point. Yeah, I I really respect what Michaela said about, about the value system. And I, I what you're in essence saying is you value the security right. of if things went south, you you're an independent person and that you're able to still take care of yourself. And that wouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if things went south, you would have that money that. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And so I think the discussion to have, and if that is something you value and need, then it's valid. Um, and having that discussion with your partner in that scenario to say, look, this is the amount that I need to feel confident. And to feel that I'm going to be okay in the situation. If we hit this amount, putting a limit on it, and then we throw everything else towards this singular goal that we have together so that we can progress together, are you okay with this? And then having that conversation. And so, yeah, it does look different for, for, for different people, right? Your financial past is present. Your parents are, are divorced. And so that affects the way you view money today. Yeah. So having that conversation putting an understandable limit and saying, okay, well, how do my behaviors influence the progress of our relationship as a whole? And is there more that I can contribute to our relationship's progress and still maintain my independence and my security? And I definitely think what you said, how either way there needs to be a level of control, like whether that's an allowance, we call it his, her money. Mm-hmm. Like have this money, no questions asked. If you want to go golfing or you want to go to lunch with your friends or you want to buy whatever, like I'm not going to question your purchases. That level of independence is so important regardless of which way you do it. So I definitely think keeping that uh, as part of it is important. I do think when you have kids, sometimes that can get trickier. Yes. If you did do it separate because then it's like, okay, well, if I want to buy our daughter, um, something that's not necessarily a need, Mm -hmm. like let's say I want to buy her, I don't know, a cute new bow or something. I don't know. (laughs) I can't think of it. But just like, would that be out of the us fund or is that my personal money that I spend on that? You know, there could be some tricky overlap there. So just again, communicating, making sure that you guys really agree with what is going on there. Well, that's an interesting point because one of my questions was what's some advice that you have for moms and families specifically. And, you know, I, I do feel like my husband and I are in a pretty good place and understand finances pretty well. But like you said, we haven't navigated the children scenario world yet. So what are some things that do come up and how do you recommend that parents sort of navigate that? section because clearly you guys got to a really good place and 
then we're able to bring your little daughter into this kind of pretty comfortable area. And then what did come up? What situations like that? Yeah, I think for me, the most apparent one is, you know, I, we talk all the time about roles of male and female. And there's a lot of traditional roles out there that we don't necessarily agree with in our relationship, but we wanted to understand how to navigate those. So before we had Lucy, we were both working. And then um, when Michaela had Lucy, when we had Lucy, but she did all the work all the <laughs> front. Um, Good job. <laughs> I, I want to make this marriage last too. Um, the, uh, it, it was kind of the question of, I might go back to work or I kind of want to wait and see how I feel. And so when- And when we say work, this means aside from sensei. We yes. were both doing mm-hmm. sensei. And actually that kind of made the decision for us because Sensei kind of picked up pace. And then I was like, well, this kind of is going to be my main job and I'll do like all my wellness, teach fitness classes, like as a side thing. So that ultimately ended up being our decision. But at this point it was definitely like, okay, do I want to go back to work full time? Do I want to be home? I don't really know because I don't know where my emotions are going to be decision until I actually am a mom you know mm-hmm. and then right after the emotions aren't very clear so so one of the things that happened though through that is when Michaela was going through that decision is she's no longer necessarily contributing financially but and so then there's this value of paid and unpaid work because she is still working <laughs> she's not being paid for it. and if she was she'd be paid way more than than I was bringing to the table God bless you for saying that <laughs> <laughs> like it, you said it's the truth husbands listen up um <laughs> there's a value and an emotional side that we've noticed with couples and happened also to Michaela of I'm not contributing financially to this relationship and to this family yeah and so I feel guilty I feel feels wrong. Sometimes I don't feel like I can speak up if I need something or want something because you're the one earning the money. Even though you have just as much right in that marriage to say, I'm an equal partner in this. And I also choose what happens with the finances we manage together. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a husband and a father, if I had anything to say to new moms who were considering and, and feeling that guilt, first off, you have every right to the, the personal finances, the family finance, just as much as the, the spouse that brings home the money if one of you are staying home. And this also goes if one of you are making less. Um, and to the, to the spouses or partners who make more than their counterpart, um, and sometimes that is the working mother. Yeah. To also uh, not look down on your partner or spouse if they don't make as much money as you. And to also give them credit for the things they do do to help and assist you in all of your roles. Right. Are there any um, things in particular that you think moms or families can do that are different from when you're single without kids? I have to think of their like very specific. I can think of some things like preparing for their future, like thinking about are we going to be putting money aside for their college or for their wedding someday or whatever, you know, and that opens exactly. a whole new window yeah. of discussion. 
if it's like, well, my parents paid for this or no, my parents wanted me to do it on my own or whatever. Um, and that whole world. So I definitely think that part of it. Um, and then just the other things, like you just don't know how much things cost because you've never bought diapers before. You've never bought clothes, like just all of those things. So it's hard to, to just pull out numbers from thin air, which is kind of what you have to start with and then adjusting that. So I think those things are different because they're things you've never experienced, but a lot of the ways that you hopefully were already communicating about money before and already were talking about what you wanted to do with your future and investing. And hopefully you were talking about the little spending habits that you wanted to do, you know, so it's just adding another human with more needs and more opinions and um, try to navigate that. But I don't know if there's anything completely different that you've never well, done you know, before. It's funny because I actually had a mom say to me one time, you know, really in the beginning when they're born, like they're not that expensive. <laughs> She's like, you know, I mean, ideally if they're having breast milk or even if they're having formula, I mean, it's not that expensive and you're basically buying that in diapers. And then if you're lucky and you get help from family and friends from a shower, then you kind of get all the essentials. So it's really not till they start eating food and then they really don't even eat that much. So is that a misconception or did you find that? Yeah, I think for us, we underestimated the how much it would cost. And I think, um, but I do think there's truth to what your friend said as well, because we did get a ton of help from the showers and from family. And so it really hasn't been, it's still, we've still been able to progress even with those additional expenses. One of the things from your previous question I was thinking about was, um, it's easy sometimes to skimp on ourselves or to say, I don't need this much food or I don't need this quality. Yes. But when it comes to your child, <laughs> you're, you're like, I don't want anything but the best for them. And that, that can be more expensive. So kind of having that honest com conversation with your partner as well as like, you know, they may think that this quality is acceptable, but you may not. And that can, that depends on different things. I personally have like a way bigger anxiety, way more anxiety than Michaela does in certain things around Lucy's safety. Uh, and so there's certain elements of that that I'll want to spend more money on or, you know, want to, want to, want to invest in. And then there's elements and things on specifically for Michaela in design and quality of, of certain things that Lucy's going to need to use for a long time that she'll want to invest. And in. I'm like, why can't we just make do as we go along? And so yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say too, with that comment that babies can be as cheap or as expensive as you want them right. to be. There's <laughs> a range. Like that was something we didn't know. And there's so, I mean, marketers are going to target you hard <laughs> because they know that this exists, that people want the best for their kids. And, you know, you could go above and beyond and they could have three different bassinets and one that swings and one that vibrates, right. and, you know, but really necessary I mean no all they need is diaper food and clothes and you could get hand-me-down clothes like you could totally make do for way less so I think that range is sometimes hard because people will ask us like so how much would you suggest that we need for a baby it's like well right. like, tell me what you want what you value what you care about um, once again it comes all the way back to that valuing and communication yes Yes. Do you want the highest quality diapers or are you fine with the cheapest ones from Walmart? Like even when in that very specific need, 
there are so many different avenues that you can take. So I, I think that that is kind of a tricky part with kids and and can really be a range. Or do you want to do fabric and save a lot of money, but then you have to do yeah. laundry and, you know, do yeah. like yeah. a <laughs> Yeah. Cloth diapers. That's, that's, a, different, that's a new level. It's a different breed of parent. One of my friends does it. She actually, I interviewed her not about cloth diapers, but I, um, I, I'm blown away. You know, she just actually had her third and I'm pretty wow. positive that even with the third, she's doing cloth diapers. And I, I, I don't know how she does it. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, I'm definitely going a little bit over time than when I usually talk, but I just think this is so important and thanks for hanging in. I just have a couple more little questions and then I'll let you go. Um, you're great. Okay, good. And thanks if, if you're listening for hanging in. I just find this all fascinating. So my last couple of questions are, what are some common misconceptions that you've found in dealing with couples over money and around money? Yeah, I think the biggest one we've seen is the belief that someday it's all just going to work out. Mm-hmm. Someday we're going to have enough money. It's all just one of us is going to get a huge raise. We're both going to get a huge raise. Our ship's going to come in and then all the money problems are going to go. And in our experience, that's just not true. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have a plan today. You need to start today. Um, and, you know, taking the time to have that communication those communication conversations and um, and about your values and what's important and making a plan now is going to prevent you from being 10 years down the road, looking at your partner and going, what the heck just happened? Mm-hmm. And, and that leads to a whole bunch of other relationship problems. Um, looking at your bank account and saying we have enough money in our bank account is not a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it, you're not, it's again, you're, it's just not going to magically happen. Your dreams are not going to magically happen. You have to make them happen. Mm-hmm. And along with that, kind of what he said about if I just look in the bank account, then, you know, it'll be fine or whatever. I think that kind of goes with the other misconception, which is if I spend less than I make or I'm not in debt, then I'm good. Like, check the box. I'm financially set. But there's so much more to personal finance than that. And, and that's just, you know, the beginning little tip of the iceberg of personal finance. And that is a very important step. Absolutely. And if you are there and you are debt free or you do spend less than you make, then like, that's a great first step. But like you mentioned, a lot of people, the way they budget, like I have $2,000. Okay. I have $2,000 to spend whatever I want. And, um, that's keeping you from making these progress progressing and really making your dreams happen so that's what i would say i'd probably the biggest another misconception we see is that um income is the key factor in being successful financially and sometimes we think we have to be making all this money and i don't want to don't get me wrong how much money you make does impact yeah of course. Um, things like that but if you don't have a plan in place it just magnifies the problems there um, one, the three most common professions of millionaires in the United States are teachers, accountants, and engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's because they have a plan and they make do with what they have. You don't have to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars or six figures to get where, where you want to be. It mm-hmm. definitely helps with comfort and it definitely helps speed the process if you have the plan in place. But without the plan, it, it, it can actually cause more harm than good. 
Yeah, now like all these misconceptions are coming out. But another thing is just how people think wealthy means lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Wealthy lifestyle, what you think that looks like. But if you're spending everything you make and not accumulating anything or keeping any of it, you're not wealthy, right? And so I think that's a big misconception too. And and part of our um, research when we went on this journey to create this curriculum some of it's based on our experience, but also we've just read every book we could come across and interviewed all these millionaires. And through that experience, that was a big thing that we learned. Um, talking to some people who, one of our friends that, that makes $250,000 a year, which seems like plenty, but they spend $250,000 a year. <laughs> so it's, well, you're never gonna get anywhere. Even though you have this great lifestyle, it's still, if there's an emergency, you're just as panicked as somebody who makes 20 bucks. Right. Like we're in right now. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think those pieces definitely are a big factor as well. Well, and I know oftentimes people think, you know, I am not making enough. Like for example, even how I'm feeling right now, I mean, I have some money saved, but I'm about to go on unemployment and make an mm-hmm. And let me correct that and not make enough to pay my bills. So, you know, someone commonly like who's in my experience and are going to be in my experience would say, how do I put money aside when I'm physically not making enough to cover my basic bills anyway? Like, where does that money even come from? Yeah. Yeah. Now, and and, in that scenario, sometimes it is an income question, right? Because, you know, yeah, at some point you have to have a basic standard of living. Right. Um, but but in that situation, there may be places to cut, and that depends on the scenario and the situation, right? I don't, I don't. It's really hard to just make a judgment call on how somebody is spending money. Um, but I mean, this but, day and age, you have subscriptions, and you have this and right. that, like looking into how you can cut in those ways, right? Right. Totally. We've met very few couples where the issue is income and more of, hey, you might have to sacrifice for this period, but it's only temporary and it's not necessarily forever. It's just make sure you're stable so you can build that income back up to where it needs to mm-hmm. be. And even in an unemployment situation where it is an income challenge, still um, seeing what you can do is way more empowering than just feeling like, well, guess I'm just gonna, you know, go to the bars because right. <laughs> I you know, have nothing else to do with my money. So really looking at, okay, what else could I do? Maybe I can cut a few things, even if I still am not able to cover all my bases or put money aside, still doing what you can feels way better mentally and emotionally than just feeling like the hole's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper the longer you go. And I think you have the right mentality. So I, I'm, I think we're just talking in general yes, about yes, this. Yeah. And yeah, rather of course. Than do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, in case something you were saying about wealth and your mindset around that too, is like, you know, I think very few of us in this world ever see or hear of a million dollars in our bank account, right? Like we think a million dollars and we're like, oh my gosh, if I had just had a million dollars. But if you really sit down and think about it, a million dollars is not that much money. And I know that a lot of people think like, if I had a million dollars, I would be wealthy. 
but a million dollars really won't last you very long. Like if that's all you have in your retirement, which many of us won't or don't, that's not going to last you very many years. And, you know, the wonderful side to it all is we're living much longer, but the caveat to that is many of us don't have enough money to help us and, and live that long, that long. So one of the people we've interviewed um, was this wealthy angel investor and you would never know his personal finance situation. Um, his family, they lived in a really nice house. Um, he was, he had all these investments in these startup tech companies. And um, one day I was sitting with him and, and just talking and he looked at me and he said, I'm about to have to borrow money from my, from my parents. Oh. And I said, what? I said, you're, I, you're literally, you've literally been writing checks. Um, I've, I've watched you write, write down a check with, you know, without even thinking about it. And he, how he made his money is he built a company and sold it and made several million dollars from it. And that money was now completely tied up in investments that or there was no guarantee he'd get that money back. And now he had no money to meet his BMW payment, his million dollar house payment. And he was literally going to have to borrow money from his parents or, or go, go get a job of some mm. kind. And that was a real wake up call for us when we realized here are these people that we think just have it all. And they're happy to borrow money from, yeah. from their parents. Yeah, exactly. It's, you, the, I think, we just never really know what somebody's personal financial situation is like. And it's way more possible to become wealthy um, than we really realize or, or know. Um, truly wealthy. Truly wealthy, which means sometimes that we hold on to wealth, but it doesn't necessarily look like we have all this money. Right. So when people want to sign up and take your course, what does that look like and how can people find you? I will definitely put everything in the show notes, but what does that look like? So if people are interested. Yeah. So you can find us either on Instagram, Sensei Financial, C-N-T-S-E-I, or senseifinancial.com. And that's where you can sign up for our course if you want to um, sign up for that. Um, but you can also follow along on social media. Yeah, it's really simple. It's just a sign in check out and then you've got access to the course. It's hundred percent money back guarantee. So if you think log in, you think we're full of crap, you can get all your money back. So that was my next question for those people who are like, okay, I'm trying to get out of a financial yeah. hole. And now you're asking me to spend money. Yeah. We, I, I would say the following and Michaela probably has something to say too. We've given the course away to many people. And what most interesting enough is the people who pay for it are the ones who actually apply for it because they had to give something to get it and so um people that we know and said man they really could use this course it's really going to help them they never logged in once and um if you sacrifice for it and and pay for it i we our guarantee is that you are going to make way more than your money back i mean what's the value of solving the financial stress you have in in your marriage or your or your partnership or your relationship I mean, I can't put a value on that and budgeting and the physical money you are going to make that will show you how to make. Um, and if we don't, you get all your money back. Yeah. I don't really think I have anything to add. Just <laughs> amen to that. And just that we've seen it happen, which is 
what has been the most rewarding thing for us is like seeing these people who are like, how are we going to scrape by to pay for this course? Like we're already struggling and they do it. And then they make that money back and more from a few adjustments. And it's just life changing. It saves their marriage. It saves them money. It just like sets them on the right path. So that's definitely what I would say. And, and, agree with the whole thought that we've tried to give it for free and we do give a lot of info for free if you just need free info right now follow us on instagram sign up for our email we do give lots of things it's just a lot of tidbits right you'll have to listen to the podcast here you'll have to find a couple blog posts here and try to right. piece it all together and the most value and what really will be effective is to be like you know what i'm gonna sign up i'm gonna go through this whole course i'm gonna apply every single one of these action items and I'm going to change my life. And that is a different level of commitment than let me just find a few free things and maybe I'll try this and maybe I'll do that. And, and you will still have success that way, but maybe not at the same level or the same rate as if you make the leap. Yeah. I mean, invest in yourself, your marriage, your future. It, it makes sense. And then it'll come back. And the fact that you have the money back guarantee is just even better. That's awesome. And I was also just realizing like, this is kind of the perfect time for people to check it out because we're all forced to be home and be together. <laughs> and a majority of people I know of couples are together, whether they want to be or not. <laughs> and they're working from home or they're not working and they're unemployed. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely check it out in the show notes. All the links will be there. And um, this is kind of a perfect time to really sit down and I mean, we're about to dive into some really dark places financially in the world. And so let's kind of get out of that individually. I think that's so important. I have so, so enjoyed our conversation and I can't wait till uh, this is all over in the world so I can take a trip to Utah and go visit you guys because we definitely need to get a coffee in real life someday. Yeah. Um, so my very last question, and we didn't talk much about your daughter, Lucy, but um, this is kind of a question that I ask, not kind of, it is a question that I ask to all of my guests, so I must ask it to you. And that is, what is something that you would like to tell Lucy now for when she's 18? Oh, man. You should have given us time to think about that one. <laughs> you just threw me under the bus <laughs> <laughs> you can take a second something i would tell lucy now for when she be i'm taking this very seriously so good yeah i might i might need a minute on this you, you just asked the soul scratching question <laughs> never trade for what you think or what others tell you is important for what is truly most important and i would say stay confident and stay faithful. I love that. That kind of rounds it all out. Both of those answers sort of rounds it all out for her. Well, she's clearly going to be set in the financial world as, as you bring her up. And um, you guys are just such a beautiful couple. I love the energy between you guys. Clearly we can see in the way that you express and work together that your communication is pretty wonderful. And I'm sure that that's grown throughout this experience. So um, I'm just so grateful for this time. And I hope that those listening have learned a lot and that they check out um, your course and 
all of these lives can be changed and lots of saving can happen. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. And thanks for such a lovely compliment. (laughs) The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms. And I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, please take a minute on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at The Pumping Podcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.